0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Today's Gospel begins by saying that Jesus was addressing heaven, so I decided to look in other places where Jesus mentions heaven to better orient myself to today's Gospel. And In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is among us. But that verse is so familiar to me that it's almost lost its meaning. So I decided to look somewhere different. So I went to the Gnostic Gospels and looked in Thomas. And Thomas says it differently. He says, The kingdom is inside you and outside you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will be known. And you will realize it is you who are the sons of the living Father. Now compare that to today's gospel where Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you. There seems to be a message about God that was emerging during that time, that to know and be known is what it's all about. Jesus goes on to say that he's no longer in the world, but we are are in the world, and his prayer is that we will be made one just as he is one with God. So we're led to believe from today's gospel that eternal life is about knowing God, and knowing God leads to union with God, and union with God is heaven. And Teilhard de Chardin says in his book, Heart of the Matter, that because the kingdom of God cannot be found simply on earth, but rather through union with God, that requires the death of our ego. And he talks about how hard it is to allow yourself to disappear in order to merge. But he has this beautiful way of connecting it with the Eucharist. He says... That is why, pouring into my chalice all bitterness, all limitations, all separations, all sterile, failing away, you then hold it out to me and say, drink ye all of this. In other words, everything that we are able to give up, we receive back in the communion we have with each other. In today's gospel, it's set right before Jesus died on the cross, and we are reminded that death is not about disappearing, but rather the emptying of the self in order to be open enough to receive all that is, which culminates in unity. But allowing the self to get smaller and smaller in favor of wholeness is hard. It's especially hard if one is doing the work while using the same language over and over for guidance. And I'll tell you what I mean. A few years ago, I was in what I like to call a spiritual growth spurt, and I was feeling a little unsteady about what I believed, and I either read this or somebody told me that if I really wanted to know what I believed, I needed to examine my prayers. At that time, my prayers were pretty rigid, pretty structured, formulaic, they were unchanging. I was using the same language I had always used to pray, so it was pretty easy to examine them. And this examination resulted in the knowledge that I had a lot of secretly held beliefs, secret even from myself. The first, was that I believed that the world was bad and that terrible things happen all the time. And the second, I believe that God put me here to experience those bad things and then to learn some kind of lesson from them. And because of that, all my prayers were kind of these half pleas to God to allow me to learn without facing tragedy. But I also discovered through examining my prayers that I didn't really believe that God would intervene. And so I was just kind of waiting for these terrible things to start happening. Examining my prayers showed me that I believed that God was loving but hands-off, that life was supposed to be terrible, and if it wasn't, then I was wasting my life here on earth. And that the only real reason that I prayed at all was a half-hearted attempt at getting God to spare me pain. In my defense, I also prayed that all of you would be spared pain as well. (laughs) But that was the basic gist. Please keep this terrible world at bay and let me still learn the lesson that I'm supposed to learn. But prayer is not just the reflection of our beliefs about God or our faith journey. Our identities inhabit them, shape them, and if we aren't careful, become the way that our ego converses with the God of our own design. And I think that's what I was uncovering in my prayer. A left turn of sorts that left my soul feeling unmoored unless I clung to the containers of my faith that if I were really being honest, we're getting too small. The nail in the coffin came a little later when I was having a conversation with one of my students. I'm a school chaplain during the week. And if you really want a spiritually humbling experience, find a sixth grader and ask them about God. I dare you there is prophecy in them hills. (laughs) I'm actually being serious. (laughs) A little bit ago I was teaching in my sixth grade Old Testament class which is my favorite class to teach because it gives us roots as Christians. It tells us who we are and where we came from and with these strong roots we have the ability to explore freely So there I was laying this foundation of Christian common identity, and I was being super inspiring, and I was like, man, these kids are just going to grow up to know exactly who they are and never fear when the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, I was like, I'm being awesome. And this sixth grader raises his hand, and he says, that doesn't even make any sense. (laughs) He says, I think we need to throw it all away and start over. To which I responded, it may have happened 4,000 years ago, but I don't think we need to just throw it all out. It tells us who we are. It's like our family album. You don't just throw your family album away because you don't look like that anymore, do you? And he said, sure, I get it. (laughs) He said, I get it, but don't you think some things have happened since then? I mean, don't you think it's time for a new story? And something about the truth in his statement stopped me from arguing with him. Because the truth that hit me was that I was allowing the story to give me a concrete identity, and I was allowing that identity to strengthen my ego, not provide a foundation so that I could go deeper. In other words, I was allowing the word of Scripture, the living word of Scripture, to grow stale by not providing fresh language to reveal the truth from within. I was using our creeds and our common language and the same linear explanations of Scripture as a clutch for spiritual development. I was not using these things to anchor me. I was using them to restrain me. I was twisting them in my humanness to remain something fixed and without meaning so that I didn't have to do any actual work, so that I didn't have to listen for the Holy Spirit or answer hard questions or face scary periods of doubt. And so basically, my ego taught itself because I was not growing and my spiritual development was not strong enough to let my ego know that it wasn't dying, it was merging and therefore gaining all that there is to gain. And yet here I was teaching young people the same rote information without any direction about how to do the work around it. I was giving them answers, and Jesus pretty clearly modeled that answering directly is useless because answers feed the ego. They don't allow the ego to relax and let go in the presence of truth and never-failing love. So a few weeks ago, my 4-year-old son told me that he hated communion. So I'm doing a bang-up job here with the young people. (laughs) I said, well, honey, you have to go. It's important. And he said, well, why? I said, because God is in the bread, and God is in the wine, and there's something mysterious and wonderful and powerful that happens when we merge our body with His. To which my son replied, But I don't see him in the bread. And I said, you can't see him. He's invisible. (laughs) And And he said, God's not invisible. He's not a ghost. And I said, you're right. God's not a ghost. God's alive. And some people can see God better than others. So you need to keep going to communion, baby, because I believe it will help. And he simply said, okay. Because for a four-year-old, trusting the experience is enough. He didn't need to know anymore, and in fact, he corrected me when my answer didn't contain any truth. God is not invisible, and God is not dead, and God is not hands-off. But I've learned that that was never the point anyway. The point was not to find the opposite of the God that I had created in my head that would somehow lead to the true God. The point is that God is. And God is in me. And that God is all. And is in all. The point is that I needed to go deeper into what is. In fact, I learned that maybe all those Scary things aren't there for me to conquer and to control, but to look at and say, I'm not afraid. I imagine that Jesus is familiar with this tendency to want to hold on tight when things are shifting and old paradigms are failing away. The fact that growing causes fear does not have to hinder growth. In fact, fear can just be the signal that God is near and closer than ever. And instead of trying to protect myself by separating myself, I've learned that it's okay to step into the dark. It's okay to merge. The gospel for today is imploring us to share in the oneness of God, to be in communion with all that is and was and is to come. And this requires us to be present, to be open, and to recognize spiritual stagnation when it's happening, and to step into those scary places in order to get moving again because the ego is scared of disappearing, and that's a natural fear. But the truth is that disappearing was never on the table. To be known is what is on the table. And the challenge for today is to give the ego permission to lay down its walls around our hearts so that we can see and be seen. And so the next time I'm feeling nostalgic and longing for solid ground and something recognizable, I'm going to breathe deep. I'm going to say, hello, God. I'm listening. Amen.